Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. This is your host, Minion, also known as Rob. In this episode, I'd like to look at the fourth and penultimate instalment of Janet Viles' More Deadly Than the Male. And I'll also take a few call-ins from my friends and listeners out there in uh, fancy land. <laughs> anyway, let's get on with it. So, it's April 1987, and Gary Gygax has long left TSR, the company that created and brought advanced and various other versions of Dungeons & Dragons to the world. And in the UK, um, we have a situation where um, Games Workshop has... They have already split uh, Warhammer Fantasy into the battle war game rules and the fancy role play rules and by September 87 of that uh, yeah so by September 1987 they would actually bring out the 40k rogue trader rules uh, brick taking the ideas and sort of aesthetic of Warhammer and projecting it into the far distant future so um it's April, and that means uh, Adventurer Issue 9 has come out. And in Issue 9, we have uh, yet another instalment of Janet Viles' More Deadly Than the Male, and this time it's Part 4, and she discusses female players. And she begins her discussion with women in the hobby, and she points out, the, points out, out that... Um, Role-playing games ought to be uniquely attractive to women um, because they involve more than just tactics and abstractions, to use her words. Um, Frequently, they they are more cooperative and competitive and involve a large degree of creativity. She says, My experience is that a surprising number of women do get hooked by role games once they get involved. So here she... Janet uses the the word role games, which is a kind of curious expression, but um, already by, you know, uh, the mid uh, to late 1980s, role playing games have has become the standard term um, being used for um, the games that we play today. And it has become a separate class uh, distinguishable from wargaming. And um, yeah, it's, it's this this image of war games uh, and games in general that um, that per- perhaps are reasons for women being less involved in them, uh, at least from the perspective of Janet, who's writing in 1987. Uh, and she points to the, uh, the fact that um, games like chess and other and war gaming um, in general, not just role-playing games or role gaming, as she calls them, are dominated by men. So why is it that there are more men and fewer women involved in this role gaming hobby, this role playing game hobby, when as far as uh, Janet's uh, opinion goes, there should be just as many women, uh, if not maybe more? Well, she looks first at the, the, the problem of images or imagery within the hobby and how these are used. Um, she says, the problem is that the image of FRP games, fancy role-playing games, 
does not appeal to women since it usually suggests that all role-playing games are for violence-obsessed boys and men. And she goes on to put to identify the roots of this. I'm not surprised that there are few women in war, uh, few women wargamers. Unfortunately, war games and role games are still synonymous to many people outside the hobby. Um, so she she's looking at yeah she 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 accuses in some ways the roots of um, the hobby the role playing game hobby, which are war games and war gaming, uh, and the the preoccupation or the the uh, focus on violence uh, strategy um, and. Um, you know, the use of violence to achieve, to achieve one's ends as being possible reasons for um, women feeling um, somewhat excluded from the hobby. And she, she mentions this, this difficulty of separating war games and role-playing games um, even today or um, contemporaneously in 1987. She goes on. As the hobby has matured, it has become a separate entity from role-playing, uh, from war games, that is, and is now often and it is now often embarrassed by its links with its juvenile progenitor, the war game. So, she now identifies that um, this relationship with war gaming and competitiveness uh, is still. Um, is still quite deeply rooted within the role-playing game hobby of the late 1980s. But also, um, but perhaps because of this, that there is an image, um, and also indeed a, a target audience that is aimed at the men. So fantasy and science fiction are often seen, certainly by the games companies, as largely male interest. And the publicity is designed to appeal only to a male audience. However, this is perhaps a false impression. My experience is that many women are interested in the genre too. Um, then as um, evidence of this, she talks about how um, Terry Pratchett's uh, The Colour of Magic was a big hit on Radio 4's Women's Hour um, and um, so on and so forth. So she then examines, um, goes on to examine um, what this means, uh, what happens when the companies focus on this predominantly male uh, hobby or uh, market sector, if you like, market segment. Having identified the problem, um, the image problem, uh, in her words, of role-playing games, she then goes on to um, identified some of the marks of this the great all-male market. Um, she says, the effect of the hobby being seen as a male preserve is that the bulk of the audience for RPGs are adolescent males, probably the most sexist section of society. Fortunately, most of them grew out of it. At this age, 12 to 16, few boys want real girls of a similar age around, although many do express a juvenile and largely ignorant interest in sex. I think this is kind of an interesting um, comment. And uh, it rings 
true, I think, uh, from my experience. Um, I would have fallen in within that bracket at that time. Uh, 1987, yeah, so I would have been um, 13. Um, yeah, 13 going on, 14, 13, yeah, pretty much exactly 13. Um, and certainly I was starting to become more aware of and confused by the opposite sex. And so I would no doubt have um, very much been of the group that she is I. Uh, she's examining here and I would have been affected by the marketing of these companies as she goes on. So she, she continues um, and she says that um, because, because these uh, young adolescent males appear to be the majority of gamers, and she stresses the word appear, um, the market itself basically... Um, must be targeted by the games companies. And so this leads to most of the publicity and commercial advertising being aimed almost exclusively at this group. This gives a self-reinforcing circle that must be broken for any other section of society to be drawn into the hobby. Now Janet now goes on to examine the all-male image um, by looking at the covers of magazines and games. Uh, during the 1980s, uh, when she's writing. And she says that they either show no women at all or show women as projections of male adolescent sexual fantasy. Um, and what that does is that, um, well, when there's no women on there, um, it underlines, it underlines or emphasizes the that this is not something that concerns women or, or girls. Um, Often the, 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 the subject matter will be uh, focusing on violence um, as, a, as a, a substitute for um, the objectification of women. Um, objectification is my word here, um, but, and, um, but she is very much talking about the male gaze. Um, and, and when women aren't being completely um, taken off the, uh, uh, not used or, or removed from from the cover imagery of, of gaming magazines and games themselves. She says that they are, they, they are objectified, they're used in certain ways, um, and ways that don't really reflect the way that women would like to see themselves or, or their own dreams and fantasies. Um, and she points out that the, the female ideal of feminine beauty is very different to that of the typical adolescent male, as you'd expect. And that this all has various ramifications. Um, and she's hinting at it very much, but she asks some questions. She says, why are games companies unwilling or unable to show women in positions of power without making them villains or to show women who are dressed for what they are doing rather than to attract men? All fantasy art and games are about dreams and people are bound to be idealised in some way. When the artists show male characters on products or magazines, you are they are in effect saying, wouldn't you like to be this dragon-slaying hero? The female images, in contrast, are not aimed in the same way at women and girls. Instead, she says, they fall within two groups. 
Um, they're there to either give further excitement to the male observers. So again, the, the male gaze is, is very much uh, in operation. Or they're shown as villainesses to be conquered. Um, and she says, however you want to interpret that, dot, dot, dot. Okay, and so there's this suggestion that, that uh, sexually conquering them and, and conquering from power, through power. So it's a very much um, trying to, to capitalise on the male power fantasy. Now, one of the things, um, one of the things she really focuses on here is Games Workshop. And she says of Games Workshop, the old Avalon Hill box cover for RuneQuest 3 showed an intelligently dressed warrior woman who actually looked like she could and would fight. The new Games Workshop printing, however, replaces her with an all-male cover stressing chaos, gore and violence. The workshop cannot or will not show images of women reflecting female wish fulfilment. They seem incapable of showing a non-surrealistic woman who is not a pin-up. Therefore, presumably, so as not to offend the parents of their younger cu customers, they have played safe and ignored women entirely. Given this and their total dedication to bloodshed and mass carnage at the expense of the more creative aspects of the hobby, I find it difficult to avoid the conclusion that GW are actively trying to discourage female participation. And then she goes on to say that on a more positive note, some of the TSR artwork seems to be reaching a reasonable compromise between male and female idealizations of women. Um, and she, with a sidebar, um, she says, I will generously ignore some of the less pleasing examples, such as Ravenloft 2. Isn't that nice of me? I think that's a, a really fun comment. And I, I do recall Ravenloft 2 as being one of my favourite uh, semi-erotic uh, covers of my early teens. Having said her piece about the covers, the cover art of the games and magazines, Janet then goes on to look at the way that uh, miniatures are um, in these days, these heady days of 1987. Um, and again... Um, Games Workshop comes up a cropper. Um, she she says that uh, one of the she calls Citadel Miniatures, which is part of Games Workshop, as one of the biggest uh, worst offenders uh, in this. That they really don't make any effort to design um, realistic um, images of female adventurers or other you know female figures. Um, she on the on the you know positive side she sees Prince August and Grenadier models have, as having a much better range uh, available of uh, you know miniatures that you might want to actually use for your character if you're a woman and what she's looking at here is that um, she sees the range and this is her words the range of figures available is hardly calculated to attract female players I accept that commercial realities dictate that the the proportion of female figures reflects the number of female players. The real, the real problem is the forms that these few figures take. Uh, and here she's talking about the nude, um, bare-chested warrior women and ones in kind of ridiculous armour. She says, women 
can pick their clothing with as much sense as men, so why aren't the figures intelligently garbed? But presumably, you know, if uh, if you were working for Citadel at the time, you maybe you didn't think that women could pick their clothes very sensibly. Um, who knows? Who knows? But um, I do remember a lot of the figures that she's discussing here, and uh, she's not wrong by any stretch. Janet likens the role-playing uh, club as being something like a rugby club in in terms of its ethos. Um, she says it can be very intimidating and make it very difficult for girls, particularly those in the younger age range, to get involved. And by way of uh, example, she she asks uh, us, the male, us, I say, the male readers such as myself, um, how easy it might be to go into a women's institute or into a lingerie shop and browse around, you know. Uh, maybe easy for some, not so easy for others. She she examines the female um, element of the role-playing um, hobby and she, she points out that, when, at least when she's writing, um, a large number of um, women involved in the hobby are actually in their 30s and they that they discovered the hobby through their teenage sons and then became interested in it in their own right. Um, and she also says that while there are a number of um, high-profile women involved in um, creating commercial material and running games at conventions, um, it, it seems that there's less, there's less of a sort of more general kind of um, female population are just involved in playing games in general in, the, in groups. And I wonder how much of this has changed in uh, recent years. Um, she asked the question, which I think is quite important. It's a, more of a rhetorical question than anything, because she's going to answer it for us. But she says, does any of this really matter? Um, do we need women and girls in the hobby? And she says, well, yes, it does matter. And she says one reason, one of the reasons, there are two really, two reasons um, that are of particular uh, importance to her. One is that it seems ungrossly unfair that women who might be interested are put off by externals. And here by externals, she's obviously referring to, you know, the the, the, the um, male gaze kind of, uh, you know, um, the cover art and the nudity and um, the, the, the type of figures that are being created, the type of game, uh, role-playing game that's sort of dominant, the image anyway, that, that's being pushed um, by markets. Yeah. And so she, yeah, she says that it's a shame that people, people, um, in this case, uh, women would be put off, put off from liking a game that otherwise they really, um, probably flourish in and really enjoy. And secondly, she points out that my male gamer friends, in particular my husband, tell me that having female players has a profound effect on the game. She goes on to say that, in general, having a female player or two leads to a stronger emphasis on role-playing and less on monster-killing. Well, I'm not quite sure how true that is, but let her, I'll, <laughs> let her continue. I, um, I, I, I'm in an awful habit of cutting off uh, people, and she, she has a right to say her thing. Women are less likely to become power gamers, obsessed with gaining high levels and at winning at all costs. 
All male groups tend to be more aggressive in vain attempts to outmacho each other. I apologize to all those all male groups who have outgrown such childishness. So I quite like that um, because uh, one, uh, a lot of these topics, um, the kind of murder hobo thing and, and the idea of winning the game and the aggressive things uh, over the role playing elements have still um, a great deal of um, currency in these year times. It's still a, a very hot topic, uh, and and two because she, she she points out that some of us you know eventually do um, are able to appreciate other aspects of the game beyond kicking the door down and killing the goblins and stealing their treasure, although we can still enjoy those things too if we wish. Um, and finally, um, she says that my own view is that getting more women into the hobby would be a beneficial goal, both because of the effects they have on games and because of the pleasure the women themselves will get from being involved. That's a wonderful thing to say. In the next two parts of the this article, um, Janet looks at differences. Um, first, she looks at the differences between um, men and women. Um, and then later, she looks at differences in psyche. Um, and I think these are kind of interesting because the arguments that she she uses here are quite different from those um, that would be used today by many people. Um, in that she she doesn't necessarily say that the difference is a bad thing. She says that um, well she sees the difference as a strength. Um, in her own words, there are differences both physical and psychological between men and women. Saying this is not the same as saying one is superior to the other, but both have different qualities. To use a gaming analogy, no one would argue over whether elves or dwarves are superior. They are simply different, with different strengths and weaknesses. Many games reflect these differences in their mechanics, but they do seem more willing to reflect feminine weaknesses than feminine strengths. Um, so yeah, she now goes on to look at games such as RuneQuest, where she points out, I'm not sure which, which version of RuneQuest, but uh, where the maximum strength for females is 14 on a scale of 3 to 18. But then, in her words, it then makes a nonsense of the whole issue by saying you can ignore the limit for PCs. What's so special about PCs? Any peasant woman working in the fields all day has as much chance of developing her strength as an adventurer. Um um she then goes on to say that well you could you there are grounds where you could say that um, many any women are um even if you admit that they are weaker in strength wise they could be just as strong or far stronger perhaps uh in terms of tolerance of uh, extreme temperatures and physical pain stamina and so on so you might want to boost their constitution on those grounds um she points out that the this kind of uh, culturally or historically perceived frailty of of women the as the as the weaker sex um is often comes down often comes down to their the fact that they were forced to wear kind of like um well culturally respectable um clothing that was designed to restrict uh, activity and movement uh, tight dresses bodices you know um fluffed out petticoats and what not. 
And also in the difference of, in the differences in upbringing between boys and girls. Um, so uh, yeah, she, she does point out that women tend to stay in their peak for longer than men. So games that uh, wish to um, stat women as uh, weaker in one way might want to give them bonuses in other ways. Um, this wasn't something that happened in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons or uh, from her account, RuneQuest. Um, and by all accounts, it certainly wouldn't happen today in today's um, environment. Um, but that's how she looks at it. Um, I'm not sure if she's saying that we should show differences, but if we are to show the differences in stats, then why not um, be fair about it? Janet admits that more controversial are the uh, psychological differences. And she says that these, um, at the risk of annoying some members of my own sex, I believe that there are differences between the sexes, although these are ex exaggerated by environmental factors. And I also accept that many men display these feminine qualities, just as many women display masculine ones. Of course, bringing these aspects out is a matter of good role-playing rather than game mechanics. And she then goes on to say that women tend to think with the whole of their minds, the emotional parts, as well as the reasoning parts. This means they can frequently see connections that are not necessarily obvious to men, often leading to a diff different solutions to problems and insights to situations, the so-called feminine intuition. And then she compares this kind of problem-solving uh, aspect of the, of the female psyche, if you like, to... The, the attitudes towards sex that women might, or some women might have. She says, another important difference is the attitudes of sex, uh, uh, attitudes of women to relationships and sex. Um, that women are generally less concerned with the purely physical attributes of a potential partner and more with his personality and nature. I don't really know what to make of this part, uh, to be honest. Uh, um, presumably, there are uh, psychological differences between male and women. Um, what part is made up by nature and what part is made up by nurture? I'm not really um, well enough versed to, to have a, a strong opinion on. But there do seem to be differences. And uh, if nothing else, very strong culturally um accepted differences or, or um, uh, attitudes or opinions on how the, the sexes uh, operate in, the, in their thinking and their attitudes. Finally, in this article, Janet looks at cross-sex role-playing, which sounds really fun. But it's really, she's looking at um, the ways that men or women may, might role-play um, other uh, sexes she says, playing a character of the opposite sex and doing it well is both extremely difficult and extremely rewarding. She goes on to say that, I have seen male players playing female characters and make them behave as no woman would simply because they were still thinking as a man. And she gives the example of, um, of a player um, running a uh, female character as going a 
going to a midnight rendezvous with a uh, a sorcerer with a really bad reputation in a town and within a culture where going by yourself as a woman would be a tantamount to to giving permission for anything that might happen to you um, um the these kind of things um perhaps are sometimes uh, overlooked by uh us as male who's um, who are more able to move freely uh culturally and particularly as adventurers we we wouldn't see that as um we wouldn't wish to sort of uh, handicap ourselves by t- op- taking on a role where we had to be uh more more careful in the way that we operated within that fantasy society anyway janet goes on um and she says that on a deeper level playing a character of the opposite sex can be a fascinating experience if you let yourself do it properly that is i think you can learn a lot about the other half of the human race she she points out that um in some ways it's easier for a woman to play a male character um because our our um fiction our our cinema our our novels are full of uh, male protagonists so there's plenty of role models to play these exciting uh male uh characters but not so many female role models finally she says playing a character of the opposite sex is not easy a lot of male players need reminding that calling a character female adding some curves to her description and adding a makeup pack to her equipment does not create a female character oh right she gives us a little bit of a, a slap at the end there but it's i think it's all in good all in good uh taste and uh, it's all in good fun I've had a few messages call-ins that is from um listeners and friends over the past few weeks um here's a few of them I'm not going to comment uh specifically on any one of them I think they stand alone um the first one is from Safer of Safer Fancy Crafting and the second is from from Free For All Spencer of uh Keep Off the Borderlands so Without any more to do, let's listen to them. Shock, shock, horror, horror, shock, shock, horror. Hello, Robert's just safer. Uh, just listen to your latest podcast, More Deadly Than the Mail. Really interesting stuff. Uh, I wasn't familiar with the Adventurer magazine in the day, so I wasn't aware of those articles. But uh, really interested to hear more of what the series has to say about the issue. Uh, I did just want to chip in that White Dwarf did some similar articles uh, a year later, 1987, in White Dwarf 90. There was one article called um, The Difference by Erica Lidman, and there was one called A Monstrous Regiment by Alison Brooks, and they might be worth a look uh, as part of your research if you want to continue with the uh, thing. Uh, just to say, Erica's article got a bit panned in the letters page, whereas Alison Brooks' article got more favourable reviews, so maybe worth having a look at them. Some controversial issues in Erica's uh, thing whatever you do rob don't look up l'oreal miller in white dwarf i recommend you stay away from that okay take care now bye bye hey rob spencer here just been listening to your latest deadlier than the mail episode and i've really been enjoying the janet uh is it vile articles um something that kept 
springing to mind was the um, the the Romans encountering the ancient Brits, you know, the the Celtic Britain, and how they were shocked by um, women's uh, positions within the society, the fact that they held positions of power, they owned land and fought alongside the men. I mean, obviously, you've got Boudicca, Bodicea, um, but she wasn't unique by all accounts. Um, and, yeah, it's just quite egalitarian. She also got me thinking about pirates. Um, you know, obviously, there were cutthroats, but... Um, Politically, they were very progressive, uh, quite democratic and far more egalitarian than the establishment of the time. Obviously, some prominent female pirates there too. Um, And looking at the world today, there are still small societies um, that are matriarchal um, in Asia and Africa uh, where... You know, the names are passed down the female line. Uh, women have uh, more power and influence uh, and men are excluded from a lot of social activities. All very interesting stuff. And um, yeah, thanks for sharing those episodes. I'm sure there's more to come. In addition to the messages from Spencer and from Safer, I also got a written message from an old friend, a gaming friend of mine, um, Dee. Now, Dee, unlike Seyfran uh, Spencer's a woman, and unfortunately it was the only woman that actually got back to me on this. But um, her words after the first episode were enough for me to decide to continue on um, looking at, uh, at this uh, series of articles. So there's only one more article to go after this. And, um, and then I think after that I'll probably do another episode before um, the end of the year um, trying to tie things up and then next year maybe try something different anyway thank you so much as always for uh, bearing with me and listening to all my little stumbling mistakes as I as I uh, go over material of yesteryear and today so thank you take care and goodbye